0: Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. There's a new dirty word in climate negotiations, insurance. See, over the past year, proposals to insure communities against economic losses caused by climate change have gained traction. That includes Germany's Global Shield Initiative, which launched last year. But some countries say there are significant practical, financial, and moral concerns with those types of climate insurance programs, while others argue they're an essential element of preparations for a warming world. So today, a Zia visa on why efforts to ensure the world against climate change are falling flat. It's Monday, July 17th.
1: The argument is basically that climate change is causing more and more and more intense extreme weather, like a flash flood, for example, because of extreme rainfall. And that's causing a lot of damage in terms of infrastructure, economic losses and so on. So there's this idea that you could insure individuals or property or even entire regions or countries against climate risks. For example, a country might take out a policy against drought, and in the event of a drought, then it it gets paid out. So that would be a very, very simple example. As for Germany's scheme, it's... So Germany is a big advocate of of climate risk insurance, and it last year established this scheme called Global Shield, which is meant to coordinate such efforts. It's worth noting that Global Shield is a bit broader than just insurance. It also does stuff like improving social security nets, uh, social safety nets. And it's not just a German idea. So Germany got on board a group of vulnerable countries called the V20. So there's clearly also some interest there from vulnerable countries, but many are also pretty skeptical of it.
0: Got it. But many countries on the front lines of climate change are skeptical of climate risk insurance plans. So what are the different concerns that are out there?
1: Right. So I think the concerns broadly fall into three categories. Practical, financial and moral, basically. Practical is just like, you know, can we even make this work? Because the insurance industry, it's, it's, it's a private sector, right? So it can't insure everything. It can't insure the uninsurable. It would go bankrupt if it's virtually guaranteed, for example, that a certain region will suffer drought at this and this degree of global warming almost every year, let's say. Who would insure that if you basically have a guaranteed drought every year? And insurance can also be very bureaucratic and many vulnerable countries don't really have the resources or the capacity to deal with that. But perhaps another massive reason is the financing, because insurance costs money, insurance premiums cost money, and the higher the risk, the more expensive it gets. And developing countries already struggle with financing climate action and measures to prepare for for impacts as it stands. And a lot of them also struggle with really high debt levels, um, and that's already um, causing issues. And that sort of connects with what a lot of countries see as the moral question here. And that's basically, is it fair to ask poor countries to pay premiums to insure themselves against disasters that are being caused by rich countries' emissions?
0: Right. And separate from the plans themselves, critics also worry that less money will be made available for other types of climate financing or projects. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So um, some countries worry that rich countries are basically pushing these insurance schemes to avoid talking about the bigger problem of climate damages, um, which is also known as loss and damage in climate talks on the international level. That's because um, rich countries generally don't want to engage in questions of liability and compensation for the damage their emissions cause, because rich countries are responsible for the majority of historical emissions that are driving climate change. But Last year's climate talks in Egypt ended with an agreement to establish a new fund for loss and damage. So the power dynamics are also shifting somewhat, and rich countries can't dodge the issue anymore. So insurance has receded a little bit into the background in that sense, but more that like people are trying to repackage it as something else.
0: And still critics are acknowledging that insurance does have a role to play in making the planet more resilient against climate change. So what type of middle ground? Do you potentially see that's out there?
1: I mean, as I mentioned, many vulnerable countries are interested in some form of insurance. And there's lots of successful micro-insurance schemes. For example, for farmers, I mean, even now, right, we insure farmers against hail, for example, in many countries. Or right now, I think India is trialing a micro-insurance scheme that's that's allowing women in the informal sector to, to stay at home during dangerous heat waves so they don't have to go outside to maybe actually earn a wage. The question is really to what degree these schemes are scalable. So, you know, a big disaster can wipe out the GDP of a small country. A big hurricane can lead to bankruptcy across the insurance sector. I think we've actually seen that in the U.S. before. So I think the bottom line is that insurance has a role to play. But the big question to me and I think also to many others is to what degree and where exactly can be useful. And I don't think there's a real consensus here yet.
0: Also, the Biden administration is opening up $20 billion in funding opportunities to advance clean technology deployment, especially in low-income and disadvantaged communities. The money is part of the $27 billion fund to reduce greenhouse gas emissions included in the Inflation Reduction Act. The grants, which were announced on Friday, represent the remaining two pots of money under the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, as Republicans on the Hill propose cuts to the program. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power dash switch, and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron knows developing and deploying carbon capture and storage is a critical step in helping make progress towards global net zero, which is why we're targeting 25 million tons of CO2 per year in storage and offsets by the end of the decade. That's energy in progress. Visit chevron.com slash carbon capture.